Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. Once again, hello. This is episode 13 of Hashing It Out. Today we're here with Logan Brucci, um, a developer in the Ethereum space that's going to start an academy uh, focused on crypto primitives. And just so I don't butcher it, why don't you say hello to our guest? First off, as always, Colin Couchet. Say what's up. What's up? My trusty co-host, always here with me. Um, Logan, why don't you give us a quick introduction as to who you are, where you came from, and uh, what you're doing and why you think it's important. Yeah, sure. So yeah, my name's Logan. Um, I'm all around Reddit as CoinOp Logan. That tends to be my moniker wherever I'm at. And um, well, so as you said, I'm working on an academy right now. Uh, It'll start this Monday with the seminars. And um, before I get into that, I guess I'll go into uh, where I came from. So I went to the um, DevCon uh, before this last one, so that's about two years ago now. And before I went there, I made a smart contract called a burnable payment, um, and we'll probably talk about that a little later uh, in this podcast. But uh, and ever since then, I've been focused on trying to make very simple contracts that focus on game theory. And uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of the projects in this space are way too monolithic. They try to build these huge systems that are, are so large that no one really feels 100% confident that there's no bugs in it, that they'll actually work as they're supposed to. And then you combine that with like these, uh, these long roadmaps and large funding rounds, and we're still waiting on a product for, in my opinion, the vast majority of these things. So that pushed me to try to aim for simplicity. Um, and... Uh, on the road to where I am now, which is starting this academy, I, I've worked on Toasty Coin, which if people keep up with the Ethereum subreddit, they might have seen my posts about experimenting with those. Uh, and um, it's a way of outsourcing labor. So, I, so I, you know, I, I'm a, a bit scatterbrained here. Uh, where do you want to start with all that stuff? Hmm. Let's talk about what Toasty Coin is. I mean, we're going to talk about sure. all of those things probably in depth here, but let's start off with what Toasty Coin is and why you think it's important. Sure. Okay, yeah. So, Toasty Coin, uh, first of all, it's a website, it's toastycoin.com. And if you have MetaMask installed, you can go use it. And what Toasty Coin is, is it's an interface to um, a rather simple smart contract called a burnable payment. And, uh, if you go to Toasty Coin, you can create these payments, you can search through them, and you can interact with them. And uh, what you'd use these burnable payments for is to outsource any kind of task. So in a way, it's similar to Ethlance or Fiverr or any of those um, work outsourcing sites. Uh, but because of the game theory in a burnable payment, you actually skip a lot of the steps. Uh, so you know, one example that I 
I've used a burnable payment for is to fix a single bug in my code. I opened up a burnable payment and I said, hey, I have this bug. I don't know what's going on with it. And I was quite frustrated with it. I just wanted to hand it off. So I defined a piece of work. I put the ether into the burnable payment and I put it out there. And I effectively just went to sleep and woke up and somebody had committed to the payment and they'd done the work before I, I didn't have to meet them. Um, crucially, I didn't have to go through any kind of uh, you know, application process. I didn't have to screen candidates. It was sort of done for me uh, almost magically. It felt quite magical. So, uh, and uh, we can talk about the game theory on that a little bit, but before getting right into that, ToastyCoin is the interface to these burnable payments. So those are the two core aspects of uh, what I would say is the, uh, the poster child for what I'm working on now. And you, and so what, what kind of frames all of this and why what ToastyCoin is an example of is what you call a crypto primitive. Can you, can you kind of describe your definition of a crypto yeah. primitive in general? Yep. And so to be pedantic, it's a crypto economic primitive, although certainly I can imagine it being shortened to crypto primitive as time goes on. Uh, but, the, but what I would say the full term is, is crypto economic primitive. And uh, one of the interesting things about this term, well, first of all, it's, it's really new. Um, you'll hear it, you know, spoken of at conferences and, uh, but nobody seems to be an expert on it. And um, what's interesting is people seem to independently come to a lot of the same core principles and uh, some of it falls right out of the name. So uh, for example, it's a crypto economic primitive and the primitive part speaks to the fact that it's a very simple building block that really can't get any simpler without sacrificing the core utility. And then uh, the first part of that phrase, the crypto economic part, it's a little bit more familiar um, in the industry right now. And that just talks about uh, crypto economics. So, when you take you know the traditional fields of uh, cryptography and economics, um, you know Vitalik defined it quite well. I think the term crypto economics, and he said that cryptography gives us guarantees about the past. Uh, you know, this person signed something, or or uh, you know this thing was encrypted at this date. You know, and so on. And economics gives us strong guarantees about the future. Uh, you know, we can sort of you know, give people certain interests and incentives, and they are likely to do something. So he sort of defines crypto economics as a unity of those two things where we can simultaneously make these provable claims about the past while also setting up incentives for the future. So that's crypto economics. And um, crypto economics is used, of course, in designing uh, Ethereum and especially in designing Casper and the proof of stake and all that. And then, uh, so just to wrap it all up again, the primitive part just speaks to we're really building the the you know the low level building blocks that others could then build on top of it and uh so that's one that's sort of the the base level understanding of a crypto economic primitive and that has some um some consequences and i would say the first consequence is that these crypto economic primitives are pretty much by definition non-proprietary. Because if you imagine two versions of, let's say this burnable payment, for example, and, and again, we can get into that, what that actually does, how that works uh, anytime you guys want. But let's say that there's two versions of this burnable payment. One of them is proprietary and it takes a profit and it sends it back to the creator. And the other one is non-profit, it doesn't take a profit and nobody owns it. Now, if you look at those two and you say, which one is more primitive, uh, it's pretty clear that the one without the fee is the more primitive and more useful so when we talk about a crypto economic primitive, 
the there's really no way to make one that is proprietary or one that captures any sort of profit because as soon as you do that somebody else can go make a better one a more primitive one and you know it doesn't take a genius to see that the 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 simpler one without the profit taking mechanism is going to be more useful in, in in every other context except for the you know these imaginary owners that might make profit um let's see so some other characteristics as i see them of a crypto economic primitive um, as I've been hinting, they are really good for building larger systems. So these burnable payments, I've demonstrated them as uh, standalone products, but you could also build something larger or more specific out of that. For example, you could make a ride sharing service that uses in the background burnable payments. And the reason that you'd want to do that is, is because the burnable payment themselves have, have proven their utility already. And so if you want to make a ride sharing app, you can sort of forget about certain aspects of the transaction you know you don't have to worry too much about whether someone really intends to pay you know what if someone tries to back out of the deal all these all these um issues are solved by the burnable payment itself by that crypto economic primitive so you can take that and then build your ride sharing app on top of it uh, in the same way that you can sort of um take the erc20 token and build something on that without worrying too much about whether it'll work or not yeah, so um, you alluded to this in the Slack channel, and it's kind of the, the motivation behind why this isn't a big deal right now, or maybe in the, in the Reddit post that you put, is that like usually necessity is the mother of invention, and these types of things only get created when a platform tries to do something but can't do it, so it has to then make these crypto primitives as a part of their platform first before it can actually then build something on top of it. And since right. there's no, like, like you said, the most general form, the actual primitive form, usually isn't proprietary, there isn't a lot of incentive to build these types of things, hence we don't have them, because all it is is basic functionality of what you can do within the rule set of a blockchain system like Ethereum. And then it's just a kind of a proven, simple, bug-proof way of building building blocks. And then you can make those building blocks, put them together to make larger and larger applications that have end-user functionality. So right. what you're trying to do here is basically create a, a, a community of people who are tr who, who develop these things as a method because they are simpler by definition they should they should be as simple as possible you hope to build a community that focuses on building these primitives so that it moves the entire space forward i mean the erc20 standardization moved the space forward drastically because it simplified the creation of a token that allowed people to build around it this right. is a very similar thing if you if you yeah. make the primitives that are tried and true and everyone understands how they work, you can build multiple applications on top of them as well as the translation mechanisms between those applications because everyone agrees on how to do it. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, you know, one example of a crypto economic primitive that we don't have that should be really very simple to build. And in fact, I think I'm going to uh, focus on that for one or two of the weeks uh, at the academy here is a subscription management contract. So if you could imagine that you put money into a contract and then you can approve certain builders to take money out of it, that would simplify a lot of the, you know, the, the headache of setting up some kind of service that takes Ether as payment. Uh, you would have to build two interfaces on that. You'd have to build an interface for the builder and you'd have to build an interface for the, for the uh, owner of the contract, the person who's actually putting their money in there. But then this contract could allows you to 
put money in, monitor it. Um, if you set up a simple server, which of course that's outside of the crypto economic primitive, because then you got to worry about funding the server. But the server could then send out email notifications. But nobody's made that yet. And the reason nobody's made it is that nobody can make money off of making that. And so, so yeah, this this academy that I want to set up, you know, I I I brand it as an academy for education, and I and that is sort of the primary um, offering. Uh, but what I really expect to get out of it, and a lot of people ask me why I'm doing this because I'm not making any money. I did. And and the and the why, yeah, exactly. And the why for me is that it will result in a community who is learning together how to make these crypto economic primitives. And as soon as we make, you know, two or three or four on our own, and again, these are, my burnable payment contract is less than 200 lines of solidity. And the first version was, you could see it all on one page. This is this is really simple stuff. This subscription manager contract probably be even uh, even simpler. And as soon as we do two or three or four of these, and we, we test these out, you know, these are things that as we build them, we'll be able to say, this should be useful and effective. And we'll build them, and they either will or won't be. Uh, but it's not going to take us very long before we're really starting to explore a whole new field. And it's one that's worth exploring. And then on top of all that, the things that we will build, because they're just smart contracts and extremely light interfaces, they're immortal. That's that's something I, I like to highlight about Toasty Coin and burnable payments. You know, From the traditional... Uh, perspective, it's not a success because there's no users right now. Uh, but I don't pay any server costs for that. And that will forever be available as a tool on Ethereum. And it's a useful tool. I've used it to, as I said, I solved a bug and, and many others. Uh, if anyone's interested, they can go to toastycoin.com slash browse, and they'll be able to see all of the completed payments on there. So, And that will exist forever as long as people can find the JavaScript interface, which right now is on a, a GitHub pages, and as long as there's a single user on Ethereum. So as we move forward and we develop and discover and learn more about these primitives, we will also just be steadily adding on to the utility of Ethereum with no talk of tokens. You know, you, you don't need to hold a certain token to, to use these things. It'll just be a, a base level functionality that any user can get into and then a, as well any developer can include in their own you know wild dreams for for what they want to use ethereum for that's that was my next question because it's the crypto economics so uh jacob horn wrote an article about the it's called the emergence of crypto economic primitives on medium he's from coinbase and um he has somewhat of a similar slash different uh, definition of a lot of these things, but it seems as though there is there is always an economic incentive to how these work. It's part of the name, and I'm curious as to like sh when building these things, in particular on Ethereum, should it ever make sense to create a proprietary token to the primitive itself, or should it always be functioned on the base layer of Ethereum token? It's a good question, and I the only answer I could confidently say is that the inclusion of a token should not be part of the definition. I think we rely on tokens too much. Uh, I think there's places for them. Um, I think that when I was creating burnable payments, people would ask me or suggest that I should build in a token somehow. And I, for a while, I was really trying to solve that problem. Uh, and looking back, it was because I knew that if I solved that problem, I would also be able to monetize it. And, you know, when you're working on something and you just want to see it built, 
the desire to fund it, it's, it's not a greedy desire. You just want to build it faster and make it sustainable. But if I tried to put tokens into burnable payments, they would not be as useful right now. Uh, you couldn't just go to toastedcoin.com with MetaMask and use it. You would have this extra step of going and buying a token, and that is a pain in the ass. I mean, there's these, there's a radar relay, radar relay, excuse me, you know the uh, mm -hmm. that decentralized exchange, but that's not easy to use, although it is fast. And then there's other exchanges, and then you have to worry about the the counterparty risk of all that. Um, I whenever I go to adapt and I, they have their own token, and I have to go buy the token, I I get so frustrated because if they just built it with Ethereum, I mean maybe they wouldn't have gotten funding and maybe they wouldn't have even built it because they didn't get funding, you know? So, so I, I suppose I can't really blame them, but at the same time, it's so disappointing when I go and I try to use a tool and now I have to go buy some other token. So I, 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 I'm not ready yet to say that a crypto economic primitive should not contain a token. Uh, I do certainly lean, you know, in the direction of that opinion, but, uh, and I, and I do have a lot of skepticism for, tokens i mean i'll just i'll put it that generally yeah i'm right there with you i don't i don't see how much utility they actually provide a lot of the time um i mean really they like you said they're they're a method for bypassing traditional funding mechanisms um very rarely do they offer their own value proposition um so yeah totally good yeah you. yeah and of course the ethereum ico you know that's an example of where a token is uh justified, I suppose you could say, because the token is part of the machine. And, you know, a metaphor I often give people when I'm trying to explain the possible benefit of an ICO is that, you know, imagine you're building a roller coaster and to raise money, you start selling tickets. It's like a, a golden tickets you can sell. And this ticket will give anyone who has them, you know, 20 free rides when it's done. That's sort of, you know, a metaphor for an ICO that makes sense because the token that you're giving away actually will have a utility within the system. But most of the ICOs we see today don't offer that, that you know, that tight um, coupling of owning the token and using the system. It's, it seems to more often be some sort of charade of that rather than, than a, you know, legitimate kind of connection there. You know, one thing I've, I'm still waiting to see from tokens in mass is something where the token itself has its own issuance process, which is separate from Ethereum itself, in that um, the way that the system is built, it creates new tokens and awards new tokens dynamically, and those tokens have fluctuating value based off of Ethereum. But a lot mm -hmm. of the times, it's pretty much pegged. And so, yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah. All right. Uh, before we get into what the Academy will be offering uh, around this crypto uh, crypto economic primitive. Colin, do you have anything else in terms of like discussion around what a crypto economic primitive is in the first place? Uh, I mean, I need more examples. Uh, well, I think I think I get the the burnable coin a little bit. I mean, I'm kind of like. Well, I'll I'll explain that a bit more because I think that really will highlight um, what the power of these things can be. So, the the rules of a burnable payment is that. As the, there's, there's two roles, first of all, there's the payer and then there's the uh, recipient. And when the burnable payment is, is started, the, the payer starts the burnable payment and there is no recipient set. So it's open, it's out there ready for anybody to pick up. And when you open one of these, you have two main decisions to make. You, how much money do you put in? And then you have to set how much money the recipient will have to put in as sort of a deposit 
if they want to become the recipient. So it's out there. And let's say you put, uh, let's say I want someone to write a report on some white paper and I don't have time. So I'm gonna say, okay, I'm gonna put $300 out on this burnable payment. And uh, to become the worker for this job, the recipient, you have to put in your own $50. And once they do that, it moves to a committed state. And what that means is I can't get the money back anymore. So now there's $350 in this payment. I cannot get it back anymore as the, sorry, I being the buyer. And um, the only person who has a claim to that is now the recipient. And the reason it's called a burnable payment is that even though I can't get it back, I can still burn it. So you could sort of imagine that now the recipient has this coupon that they have a pretty good guarantee that they can trade that in for the ether in the payment. But I might, I could go up to it with a lighter, literally burn this coupon. That's that's my power as as the uh, the the payer. So. The game theory at that stage when it's committed means that because they put their own money in, they are facing a loss if they don't satisfy my demand, whatever my demand was, which is part of the burnable payment. I put in some text there saying what I want. And, um, and they know that if they do please me, then they, they stand to gain quite a bit. And so, and, and uh, that's sort of the overview. And, uh, and if you have some questions, please ask them. But yeah, the... Uh and mm -hmm. immediately have some questions. So <laughs> why would somebody want to burn their money when so yeah, so mechanisms which don't require burning your money? Yeah, so I would say that it's not so much that you want to burn your money, but you want to put your money into a smart contract into a game where there is an option to burn because you know that once the other player starts playing, they will they don't want to get it burned either, but it is a real threat. Um, and sort of okay. putting your money in this game where you both are, you know, you're looking at this game tree. In fact, if you go to toastycoin.com and you click on, um, there's a link near the top called game theory. It goes through and more rigorously proves all of this. But if you look down this game tree and you say, you know, you try to figure out what will happen if I do this and he does that and everything else, you'll see that very rarely will you have to burn the money because, Remember, they, they, the worker, whoever they are, they decided to put their money into this crazy game in, in the first place. Uh, this isn't just a random guy. It's a specific kind of person, and it's the person who put their money in. And the only reason they would think that to do that is because they think they're going to get more money out, which indicates they think that they're going to uh, satisfy you and convince you to release the money. So uh -huh. that is why the payer wants to put the money in. It's because he's sort of dangling some bait out there, knowing that if a fish bites, you know, the fish being the worker, then the worker is going to sort of by definition almost definitely do the work and that's why this guy uh you know signed up and fixed the bug for me uh, it was it was done within 24 hours um so he puts up his money why yeah so he puts up his money because that is that is the only way in which he can become the worker so uh there's three states to it the last state is closed so that means it's done so we can ignore that so the first two states are opened and committed when it's open that means no, there's no worker yet. I've just said the work I want done. My money is in there. And in addition, I can take it back when it's open. So I can cancel at any time until it moves to committed. And the only way that it moves to committed is somebody out there saw this. They put their own money in and sort of, you know, in an atomic action immediately, they are now the worker. I can't get the money back, but I can still burn or release it. Can they get their money back if you decide to burn? No. Well, it depends. I can burn part of it. I can I can choose to burn however much I want. So back to our example of, you know, three hundred three hundred dollars for as a payment for reading this white paper, and then there's fifty more dollars that they put in because they want to, they want to do that work. 
So now there's $350 in there. And um, so let's say that they've, they've done that and then they, they give me a report, but it's a really shitty report. You know, let's say I asked for like an hour report and it's clear they, it seems to me they've only spent like five minutes on it. They don't know what they're talking about. I could choose then to burn everything except for the deposit. I could also choose to burn 50%. I could choose to burn a little bit and, and send them a message saying, hey, you know, I, I need a little bit more. Or I could choose to wait. You know, um, that's all up to me. Uh, but but sort of the, the simple answer to your question is that it is possible, based on the payer's decision, that the deposit that they put in will be lost to them. Uh, but but I but I say lost because it's I don't you know the payer never gets any of the money back and that's also essential to the game theory. The worker knows that as soon as they put their deposit in, they have this claim to the money that the only reason that they won't get that is if they really kind of piss the payer off. Nobody wants to burn money, and um, and you know why does the payer burn money when the when the work is not done? We can get into that as sort of a but but it, but the game theory is quite strong. Um, so you yeah. could go back to them and say, hey, if you want this full amount, you got to revise and add like 10 more pages to your report right. or something like right. that. Um, yep. So there's a risk involved with just signing up for these projects. Yes. Um, there, well, yeah, definitely. There's, there's a, risk a risk for the there's a risk for both sides. And the yep. only way that people can be maximized, their maximized happiness, let's just call it, yep. um, is if uh, both parties behave in good faith. That's right. That's the only way they can win the, the game in game now, theory. Let's say somebody is suffering severely from Dunning-Kruger syndrome and they sign mm -hmm. up. Yep. So you don't get to select who signs up. So right. your risk is pretty high as somebody well, who's, who's burning. I, I don't know if I would say it's high, but it's, it's there. And it's unavoidable as well. If, if I throw my money out there and I wait for someone to sign up, I could have someone that signs up and, and does shit work. And in fact, that's happened to me. So I, I've tested out probably by now maybe 20 of these burnable payments in about, you know, I, I started out with just four when I just had the contract with no interface. And then I did, I don't know, maybe 15 more the second time. And then, and then, you know, a few more here and there. But um, if I ask, I, I've noticed certain trends and, and this is part of, you know, this gets back to my belief that we need a lot of research into this stuff because I've really learned a lot about how these can be effective. And one of the things I've learned is that if you ask for something that's more artistic or subjective, uh, that tends to blow up in your face. So I asked for a haiku about burnable payments just to see if that would work. And the guy submitted something that didn't even, um, didn't even, uh, you know, follow the rules of a haiku. You know, there's a certain syllable requirement. He didn't, he didn't even follow that. So I burned it. Um, but that was definitely a Dunning-Kruger, you know, syndrome. So there is a risk to using this, although I will say that I, about two thirds of my burnable payments worked. And I was really deliberately testing the limits of this system you know I, I, there's no real other reason i'd ask for a haiku about burnable payments um and uh but but i would also say that a lot of the systems we use today especially in cryptocurrency carry analogous analogous uh risks and so if you go to a dark net market and you order some acid or whatever in fact, this happened to me. I mean, maybe it didn't happen to me. It happened to somebody I know. Is what I meant to say. Careful, careful, careful. Yeah. So somebody are, I know. We have we have very young ears on this audience. Really, okay. <laughs> yeah, I curse like a motherfucker. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, uh, when you go to these dark net markets, the general view, of course, um, you always run the risk of ordering something, and then that vendor, even though they have 
let's say five years of good reviews just chooses at that moment to do an exit scam. And that happens. And that hack that happened. I'll just say it happened to me. You know, I'm just going to go out there and say it. But that happened to me. And that was a risk of the system. And yet people still use these systems. And I would still use, I haven't actually used those uh, since then, but I would still go and use the darknet market, even knowing that there's a risk there. Uh, and, and a similar risk is that with exchanges, you know that when you go and you use an exchange, as, as long as your money is on that exchange, even if you only have it on there for an hour, you might just have really bad luck and then they do an exit scam right there and suddenly you've lost your money. So there are these risks with these systems, but we still use them. And that is the case with these burnable payments. Something I want to uh, I want to point so out. You I just think swatted is yourself a little bit, just so you know. <laughs> I want to. I, right. I, I, I hope you want to be employed someday. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, that's a fact of life, I suppose. <laughs> I Something important to this this concept in general, and uh, I don't want to I don't want to get too far away from like the concept of crypto number primitives is that a lot of what y'all just discussed is an implementation detail that would be built on top of the actual primitive. Now, the iteration of the yes. primitive is important so that you can figure out and make sure that the game theory is sound and solid. So you have kind of, you have versioning of the primitive to make sure that you're getting the most general agnostic form of that encapsulates the behavior you're trying to solve with this primitive. Yeah. And then yeah. the implementation on top can do all that other type of stuff, like making sure that when you, when you post a job, you're very explicit in the type of job and the demands in which you need so that the person who applies for that thing understands what he needs to do to do it so that everyone's happy. The primitive yeah, has nothing absolutely. to do with that. It has to do with the implementation of that primitive. So, but once, like you said earlier, there isn't an incentive to make sure, or there isn't a lot of research around, which we've just learned from your, your discussion, the game theory around these, these primitives. We want to make sure that when we build something, there's a community around it that's asking the same type of questions. Colin just asked to make sure that the yeah. game around it is solid so that when you build something using a primitive, you don't have to worry about the counterparty risk associated with that engagement. It's no longer an implementation right. detail capturing the behavior of moving money from one person to another based on some subset of assumptions. That's so absolutely you, right. Yeah. How do you differentiate this between an es this and an escrow? So an escrow, uh, first of all, the, the biggest difference is that an escrow requires a third person. So even if we could snap our fingers and, and magically bring a third person to the table and that is our escrow agent or whatever and and who knows if this is a person or a group of people or some sort of system in any case we need that third party there so there's two problems with that first of all you got to find them which means we have to build a system that draws them in and somehow incentivizes them to show up and then the other problem is that now we have this third whole entity that we have to sort of now our game theory is in fact more complex we have to sort of worry about what they do and you know escrow is a solid system i don't mean to bash it at all but it is you know from certain angles it is more complex than a burnable payment and it has ah. more more um you know more unknowns you have to, it's more implementation you have to really figure out how you're going to build this escrow who, who are we going to find escrow would be built on top of a burnable payment meaning that if you were to hire a third party you might use a burnable payment system to do that you certainly could. I mean, and, you know, I think that's, again, one of the uh, beauties of these, the fact that it is a crypto economic primitive. You can throw it in as part of a, and, you know, really throw it in. I mean, casually, I mean, you know, someone has to build it, I suppose, but but there's a certain, um, you know, uh, there's a certain 
set of things you don't have to worry about. And you can still just throw this into some mixture with a uh, escrow. And if you, you know, an escrow could, you could sort of call that its own crypto economic primitive, although yeah. maybe it's more of an economic primitive. But in any case, say. we can take these two and mix them together. And whether one's on top of the other or they're somehow, you know, um, mixed at the same level, we can build something more powerful out of them. Yeah, so basically it would be like, hey, I'm looking for a, you know, a judge and jury for this particular task. This is the task. This is the criteria. You're going to be the third party. Here's a burnable, burnable payment. Then that person has to create a burnable payment for the person who's actually going to fulfill that task. And then they're judge and jury. And then the judge and jury doesn't get paid unless you're happy. And so there's right. kind of like this whole third party baked into the system. You just chain the primitive. Yep. Yeah, and and um, one of the ways you could use these burnable payments, which I think is sort of what you're talking about a little bit, is that you could, you could, well, you, you said it, you can chain them together. So I could actually make a burnable payment where I'm really looking for the project manager, and he signs up for that, and then he makes a bunch of other burnable payments to actually get the specific tasks done. Uh, and that would that would work for everyone involved. It'd work for me because I could forget about the task. It'd work for him because he has this guarantee of money, a strong game theoretical guarantee of money. And it works for the workers because they 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 all you know show up for these tiny little tasks that they know that they can do. I think it's important to kind of uh, kind of recap a lot of this and that uh, cryptonomic and uh, crypto economic primitives blah uh, is kind of like um, minimized encapsulated behavior on on a system, yes. right? And so you want to make sure yes. that and, it, and it's the standardization of that behavior. And so yeah, that's great. It, that's a good. You, phrasing of that, you yeah. really want to make so sure. ERC, Go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't know you were still talking. Sorry, uh, are ERC twenties and ERC seven twenty ones? Are they? Are, do you consider them crypto economic primitives? I don't know. There, I have a feeling like they're not specific enough. They're really just standards. It's not. Yeah, that's but, a standard because there's no real behavior. It's, no, it's no not a relationship. Behavior, there right? has to be some not a form dynamic of like. System. Yeah, there has to be yeah. some type of multi-party incentivization schedule like so i would say a uh like a uh a multi-sig wallet would be a, a, a crypto economic primitive yes i agree completely or another simple example is that a splitter so if i make a contract that accepts money and it sends 50 percent to one person 50 percent to the other person that's another crypto economic primitive we don't really have a name for that but in party in party splitter right and so yeah yeah and so when you have these things standardized and built you can almost build up a package manager of different types of behaviors that are allowed in this system and then bring them into the application you're trying to do based on the different types of behaviors that your app is trying to have, right? Yeah. And so yeah. you don't have mm -hmm. to worry about the implementation details to make sure you get that behavior right because there's a lot of work around just making sure they nail that behavior through the iterative process of building the primitive itself. And right now that doesn't exist. And so... Right. The academy that you're setting up is an attempt to try and create that community so that there's research involved with understanding and having solid, well-defined, and um, I guess expected results from certain types of behaviors within the community on like a atomistic level. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this... What I see this academy, well, well, let's talk about the word academy just for a second, because academy can sort of mean a school, but it can also mean sort of a, a place of scientific inquiry, you know, and that both of those things are sort of the two pillars that I see as supporting what I'm doing here. 
um, we're all going to be working together and focused on this concept of a crypto economic primitive that, you know, I, I've given you guys my definition of, of what that is, but it's really, we're all still, still kind of figuring it out, but we all, it seems like a lot of people have this feeling like it's going to be important. And what you were talking about a, a package manager, we don't really have an authority that you know, I can't think of a website that I can go to and it'll be like, oh, here's a multi-sig, you know, here's a splitter contract, here's this and here's that. And and every single one on that list is, first of all, non-proprietary and it's also uh, useful and relatively proven. I don't think that that really exists. So one of the things that I see the Crypto Primitive Academy providing is you could almost call it a namespace where we have or we're generating this culture and a process and a system for getting to that point where we have a list of things that work like a burnable payment or like a multi-sig or all this stuff you know the parody multi-sig uh we all know that the fiasco with that so it would be nice if almost in response we could say no this is a multi-sig and we're pretty sure we can't get any simpler than this and have it still be effective so that's um you know a specific thing i see the academy eventually producing is that well, it is centralized. I mean, I know that's kind of a dirty word, but a centralized um, trusted repository of these tools that a developer could then come scroll through and say, oh, I'll take that and that. And then, of course, they still have to do a bit of research, but they can sort of somewhat easily put them together because they're built to be put together. So do you consider auction platforms or auction contracts to be something that is primitive or do you consider them to be a little too complex? Like if, I wanted to do a, like if I wanted to do a Vickery uh, auction contract um it is auctioning is a dynamic system which mm -hmm. requires people to put up their money and in return uh multiple you know multiple people take an opportunity to acquire whatever that asset is um and then they you know basically get that asset if they are the best bidder or meet the minimum criteria for the best bid yeah um, well i think um Auctions, also ICOs, are are crypto economic primitives. I mean, although it's it's hard to, you know, when we say crypto economic primitive, you know, do we want that to mean sort of a class of thing? Like, can can we say an ICO is a crypto economic primitive? Or, and this is a question I'm I'm opening up, you know, or should we be striving more for that's not a crypto economic primitive. A crypto economic primitive is a specific ICO or it's a specific, what was the term that you used for the auction, a specific type of auction? Yeah, Vickery auction. Vickery auction. So you might have a Vickery auction crypto economic right. primitive and that's a, like a specific piece of code and we might have version numbers. I, I actually imagine that we would have code names because a version number implies that there's a strict tree or a strict uh, lineage and if everyone can modify everything, you know, that the, the version numbers might not be as um, salient as a, some sort of code name that actually hints at the the actual modification. But anyway, so that, yeah, I don't know whether we should really make a crypto economic mean something specific, a specific piece of code, or whether it can also apply to some sort of class. I would, I would contracts. pull from, I would pull from like, I'm a, I'm a physicist by trade. I mean, that's what I did my, my PhD and things like that. And by, so having that type of background, you're automatically naturally a reductionist like so I, I want to decompose everything into its fundamental units as much yeah. as possible and when you talk mm -hmm. about whether or not something is a cryptonomic primitive you have to ask a lot of the questions on like what can we take away while maintaining the core functionality or is there is this built up of multiple pieces of cryptonomic and primitives and so you have to then continuously decompose whatever you're asking until a point where it doesn't function anymore 
no longer right. serves the purpose yeah. of what that thing is. And, and, so like and, an ex- and so that's, an example, that's, was, that's, oh. that's the, that's the okay. atomistic thing. And the, and once you get to a point of you can, it no longer works or it doesn't serve a function whatsoever. And in terms of like, um, if you take this from a literature standpoint, it's no longer a sentence that makes sense. Then it's no longer a thing. It's no longer a primitive. But if you can continue to deconstruct something so that you can have full sentences that make full sense, in our terms, a a a, a relationship of moving money, mm-hmm. or behavior of two people in a, in a contract, then you have a primitive. And so that's kind of the open question because there's a lot of research here is how much can we break these things down into their actual primitives? And then you have research along what is an actual primitive in the process of trying to do that. Yeah. And, and of course, part of the work and the progress that I think we'll see is we'll start to define new terms. So, you know, uh, right now we're talking about what a crypto economic primitive is, and then we're sort of also splitting hairs like, well, is it this or is it that? And however we end up answering those questions, it'll probably involve further terms. You know, this is a general crypto economic primitive. This is a crypto economic implementation. You know, we might, we might come up with terms like that. So that'll be part of um, what we'll have to focus on and work on and what we'll yeah, so come like, out of uh, all this. I kind of am, I, I like at first I was like, oh, this is, you know, an auction would be a primitive, but no, mm-hmm. actually a bid would be a primitive, a round would be a primitive, mm-hmm. a, a place would be a bit of, of you know, uh, putting something up would be a, would a, would be a primitive. And those all could combine together to produce, say, a Vickery auction or any other mm-hmm. kind of market. Um, it doesn't matter. Uh, as long as you have these primitives, you can build any type of marketplace that can operate on primitives. Yeah. So um, unless you guys have any uh, pressing question, I, I think we could maybe talk about the, the academy and how we actually intend to get started. I was about to try and make that, make that transition myself. So great job. Sweet. All right. So um, the, well, the, probably the most important information is that we are going to have uh, seminars live and I have yet to announce any kind of link on that, but if, oh, wait, wait, sorry, let me back up a little bit. cpacademy.io is the website. So if you go there, you can find all the links that you'll need. And the schedule, which we've just uh, nailed down, is every weekday on UTC uh, 1800. So that's when each seminar will start. And uh, they'll be about an hour or two long, and they will also be archived. So don't worry if you can't make any particular episode. Uh, We're going to do it through Twitch, we think, because it seems like that will offer archiving as well as chat. And as part of these seminars, anybody who comes can ask questions. And as long as they aren't too low level, you know, I'm not going to be answering questions about object-oriented programming basics, for example. But, you know, as long as they're sort of above that threshold, uh, we're going to try to answer all the questions we can. And uh, each week we'll be focused on a particular um, crypto economic primitive, although the first week's a little weird because it'll be more of an intro into all the tools we're, we're using and um, kind of uh, setting up all the context. Typical syllabus week. For example. Yeah, exactly. So like Wednesday, for example, is going to be um, an overview, a fuller overview of Toasty Coin, burnable payments, and how that can sort of serve as a poster child for a crypto economic primitive. And what, what does that term even mean? So really it'll probably be repeating a lot of the conversation we have here. Um, and uh, and so each weekday will be a, a particular focus on whatever project is that week. So Mondays are the solidity design and uh, Tuesdays are the interface design. Wednesday, Wednesdays typically are sort of um, moving the whole project to a proof of concept phase where it actually works. And um, let me just see, I have the schedule right here. 
Thursdays will be like modifications. So we'll take a look at what we've built and say, what can we change to make it better or different? And then the Fridays will focus on polish to make it um, maybe easier to use for the users. And then at the end of every week, I'm gonna make a blog post that sort of summarizes everything we've done and, and puts link, links in, uh, maybe highlights anything that the students have done themselves. And, uh, and then also answers any questions that were asked during the week in a fuller way if, if they seem to deserve more explanation. So that will all start this Monday at, again, 1800 UTC. That is pretty dope. I like yeah. that. This episode should go out tomorrow or Sunday. So you're going to be able to catch on to that pretty quickly. Hopefully you aren't like a standard academic in this syllabus day. So, yeah, no. <laughs> so I'd actually like to, I really think that's amazing. I think, I think what you're doing is fantastic. I really like the education aspect of it. And I like the fact there's interaction. So very cool. Yeah, well, and, and you know, another, a big motivation of this academy is I have gotten this sense for a while now, over the past six months, there's a large untapped, and I, and I say this in the Reddit post, which is, uh, you can find that on the blog of the website if anyone wants to read. Yeah, put a link to it. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, there's a huge untapped pool of developers who are competent developers and, and they're experienced uh, and they are interested in DAP development and smart contract development. But when they go out and look for things to build, I think that they'll typically either find tutorials that are way too long. I think even even uh, Crypto Zombies is too long and too complicated, or they're so academic and they talk about creating tokens, for example, but they don't talk about how you use those tokens. And so, and And you have this wealth of information about how to build things, but it doesn't really make sense quickly. I mean, it's a difficult subject anyway. But there's very little information about what to build and why to build it. Yeah. And certainly a, a, also a lack of direct personal guidance. So this pool of developers, I think they would be ecstatic to cut their teeth effectively on crypto economic primitives. I mean, these are things that matter. And these are things that if you build it right, could be immortal. I mean, yeah. any any student can come on here and, and if, if they're a quick learner, they could, they could stamp their name on something that will last years, I mean, possibly longer as, as an essential building block to several different systems. Well, there's an aspect to, to building these things that I, I mean, people are looking for work, right? That's why these things aren't built because they want to build a project that makes money. So they build a token and so on and so forth. But there's, yeah. a, there's a subtle aspect of building things like this that gives you clout and marketability when people build yes. on top of it. If you're the man that creates a crypto economic primitive or the person around the majority of the discussion of the development of that crypto economic primitive, guess who's going to try and contact you when they try and build an app using it? You then become That's the right. de facto standard of yep. working for them or telling them how to do it, which is in essence a job. And so there's a lot, there's a market to this type of thing, but it's not an immediately applicable market. And the understanding of the behaviors that go into making that economic primitive make you better at understanding what can be done in a system like this. So it makes you just a better user, a better like, like reasoner on why to use blockchains to do any type of thing that you want to do and what's capable right. what, in, that, in that sense. What's possible and, and what the obstacles are and, and how you would go about building it. Absolutely. And and speaking of clout, you know, the sort of a final piece of the puzzle of my academy here is that I'm going to be, I'm going to be accrediting people. And, you know, it's funny. Um, nobody's going to care about this accreditation at first. It's it's just a smart contract that stamps people's identities with you know some sort of um, you know accolades. But 
the hope is that together we can build a system, this academy. Uh, you know, I'm 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 the I'm the uh, the uh, creator of this, but I'm I'm certainly not in charge of it going forward. The idea is that we can create a system that pumps out these cryptoeconomic primitives, as I've said, but also produces this community of experts that are recognized as such and can provide their wisdom to people. And you know, whether that's how I'm doing it, which is sort of for free at the moment, or or whether that's you know from more of a career building money making angle it's it's all valuable and so and one of the first contracts we'll work on is a very simple version of that accreditation contract that's actually going to be what we'll, we'll do the first week is sort of a kind of a dumbed down version of it and then we'll revisit it um maybe a, a few weeks later very cool all right i think that's a great way to kind of wrap this up um uh, colin do you have anything else uh, just one thing. I mean, when you guys are creating these these um, primitives, I think there's probably one of the better books I've ever read, and uh, it's called Radical Markets. Actually, Corey told me about it. Um, Vitalik has written a post on it. It's a uh, it's a really good book by uh, Eric uh, Posner and uh, Glenn Weil, and it's got some really cool ideas that also might lead to some more crypto economic primitives. So, to our cool. audience, definitely check that book out. And uh, I really wish you good luck with this uh, this academy. I think it's awesome. And it was called Wild Markets. What, what did you say it was called? Radical. Radical Markets. Radical. So I knew it was something radical. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I'm definitely going to be involved with this. I'll watch as many classes as I can, as well as be participant in the Slack, because I, I think this is incredibly important work that drives the entire community, not just for Ethereum, but anything that's that has a smart, contract, smart contracting language to it and allows us to see what we can use this technology for and the building blocks we can use to then build more and more complex applications. And that's that's kind of muddy right now. And the more understanding and confidence we can have in the primitives associated with these systems, the more confidence we can have with the apps that are built on top of them. Because right now, when something goes mainnet, people are real scared to use it and put money into it. But if you have confidence in the things that are built that application, you might find a better user base because there's more confidence in using it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree completely, and that's why I'm doing it. And it was great to be on, guys. Thanks for having me so much. Of course. Well, talk to you soon. All right. Bye.